Hello and welcome to One Star Bazaar, where we review the movies critics hated in search of the unfairly underrated. This week we review Beneath the Darkness, a movie that made less than $10,000 at the box office. And joining us is special guest Drew from the Real Feels podcast. Welcome, Drew. Hello. Great to have you. Yes, I'm excited. So before we get into talking about the, the nitty gritty of this movie and the reviews I was able to find for it. This all kind of started with a tweet. <laughs> you had tweeted about um, how good Dennis Quaid is at playing crazy. So I had just recently finished watching The Intruder, and I, I just remembered Beneath the Darkness and also, like, different moments from, like, Pandorum. And I just... It just kind of occurred to me. I'm like, you know... The movies are not that great, but I think Dennis Quaid plays crazy, like to almost like a comical yet comfortable uh, kind of depiction. Yeah. And I mean, that's just really <laughs> <laughs> what it got to. Well, we'll definitely get into his acting a little bit later. But let's go ahead and talk about this. Uh, just the the nitty the what do you want to call it? The the, de the, the details. Deets. The deets. Yeah. So this movie was directed by Martin Gui Gui Gui. Oh boy, Gui Guigi. What do we think? That I think it's right. Gui Gui. Gui Gui. Well, I don't know. Gui Gui. Maybe it's Gui Gui. I don't know. Why does that? Why does that sound like an island native? It does. Reading? It really does. Like Gullah Gullah Island or something. Like Gui Gui. <laughs> was written by Bruce Wilkinson in theaters for a limited release, January sixth of twenty twelve. Stars Dennis Quaid, Tony. Aller and Amy Teagarden of Friday Night Lights fame. <laughs> yeah, so she's the second most famous person in this movie. And then there, there was the one guy, like the sheriff guy, where I was like, oh, hey, him. But he's not necessarily he's not, famous. Like, yeah. you're just like, oh, he's that guy from things that I've seen before. Yes. And I, well, you, you also had the kid who ends up dying, uh, who was on Ned Declassified. Oh. What, I don't, I don't even know what he, that is. He, 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 it, was a, it was like a kid show, I think, on either Disney well, or Nickelodeon. I didn't personally I didn't personally watch it, but he was Ned from Ned I DeClassified. Also, the, other, the main character of the movie, was his name, like, Travis? He also is some sort of, like, Nick Jr. TV person in, look, in researching this movie. So, I mean, yeah, you essentially have Dennis Quaid and then a bunch of like B or C level teen TV stars. The other guy right. was like on some like Power Rangers knockoff show that I've <laughs> never heard of. So yeah, nice. that's that's where we're at with this movie. So it has a four percent on Rotten Tomatoes, one of the few movies to dip below All About Steve's six percent, and a twenty two percent on Metacritic. We streamed it on Tubi, which is a free movie channel with commercials. So the synopsis is as follows. After watching their best friend get murdered, a group of teens struggle to expose a local hero as the vicious killer and keep from becoming his next victims. So I'd seen the poster for this movie randomly in my Saturday morning, like I need something to watch <laughs> things. And after reading the synopsis, I totally thought this movie was going to be something different. Like, yeah, it reads like, oh, there's a serial killer in their town. 
who is the the local hero. Which it, where in this movie is Dennis Quaid a hero? Never, never does it actually make him out to be a local hero. Like I mean, he's just kind of the you know the nice guy in town. He he. Right, he's an established member of the small town community. It makes it sound like to me he was like a football star in high school. Right, right. That's right. And it he kind of was like a hero in like a football way, which makes sense because they're in Texas, Texas, where football is like life. Yeah, and he's <laughs> he's very much connected to the town, like not only as you know the mortician, but his wife was a teacher. So you have this, you know you know, integral part of them being part of the community. So, I mean, that's, yeah. there's that, but I mean, other than that, no, nothing. <laughs> still, still very poor phrasing in the synopsis. Yes. Cause it also makes it out to seem like he is this sinister, like serial killer. And as we'll get into with our discussion, he's not yes. really, right. He's, I mean, he's not, he's a murderer, but he's not like, <laughs> yeah, he's just weird and crazy. So let's see what some critics had to say about this movie. Mark Olson of the Los Angeles Times said, Yet, that deeply strange and agitated performance by Quaid is the only thing that makes the film remotely bearable. So again, high praise for... Dennis Quaid playing crazy, as you pointed out. Rex Reed of The Observer said, You anticipate every scene before it happens and figure out every secret before it's revealed. Tim Grierson of The Village Voice said, doesn't even have the pulse-pounding excitement of a second-tier Scooby-Doo mystery. <laughs> harsh, harsh criticism. Yeah, I feel like those are all pretty, pretty rough. So, with this movie, um, in addition to, okay, so obviously we've kind of talked about the fact that Dennis Quaid is pretty great in this movie, from... In terms of acting crazy. For, for but him acting crazy, yeah. And I mean, even yeah. for his acting kind of like outshining everyone, it's not exactly like, you know, kind words for everyone else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel like when we were watching it, it really had... I mean, ugh. everyone else is not good. I mean, I'm it's basically say. like a CW TV show. With it's Dennis worse than a C... It's like... You think so? Some, C t- some of those TV shows are pretty bad. Like, I tried watching Smallville because it yeah. was super hot when I was in high school. Yeah. I couldn't make it through, like, season half one. a season because right. the acting's so bad. <laughs> I could make it through this movie, even with the so-so acting. You have... I, I mean, I mean, I agree. Like, you, you almost have, like, tropish-style characteristics coming from these teens. Like, they're fitting the archetypes that they're going to be portraying. Like... You have the nerdy, quiet kid. You have the goofball. You have the jock asshole. And then you have the cheerleader. I mean, it's it's all there, but it's not a favorable sense to have them try and portray these characters where it's done so inadequately. And also, like, the goofball guy is also a star football player. And we spent the whole movie trying to figure out what the relationship was between the four of them. Because they seem like they're kind of friends, but then they're not. And no, we're like, who is she like, dating? It seems like, like she's dating the jock douchebag. Yeah, like she's very, she's kind of like close to him. Especially like when they go to the lockers and he's like, hey, we should go this way. Come on. We should really be going this way. They did not explain their 
friendship relationship. I was enough. honestly waiting for the for the jock guy to come over and like beat up the other guy for trying to take his girlfriend. But then she's like, "No, they're not dating. They're just all friends." And I'm like, "What? This is a weird <laughs> dynamic." <laughs> At least I mean, in some <laughs> horror movies, like they even when the characters don't know each other and they're not friends, but they're like thrust into the situation together, like in Final Destination where, oh, they all happen to get bumped off the plane together, but they're not friends. Or, or ones where they do have established friendships, like in Cabin in the Woods, where you know, like, the two girls are roommates, and the one's dating the other one, and then they're friends with the stoner guy. But this movie didn't do any of that. They're just, like, expected us to infer or automatically know what their relationships were. It's, it's very unclear with how they're acting together and how it's supposed to be, you're right, like portrayed, because you have these differential type of roles that are not exactly set and not also very comfortable with how they're, uh, how they're acting, you know, towards each other. I mean, if he's supposed to be having like a relationship with her, or at least how it's supposed to be seeming, why is she spending so much time with this guy? And there's the whole, you know, we're putting on a scene and this is, you know, kind of the excuse. But, I mean, it, it's very close and intimate. And then, I don't know, the fact that he pulled up an El Camino kind of threw me off as well. <laughs> <laughs> like, is this the 70s? Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, the El Camino's cherry, man. He was so excited about it, too. He's like, El Camino is king. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was definitely weird. Um, and then... Can, can I play devil's advocate for a sec here, though? Yes, you In may. a way, I, I don't mind what you're saying about it, the way it's presented, because in a sense, it's very easy to be critical of Hollywood writing high school kids, and you're like, that's not how high school is at all. Like, maybe it was 50 years ago. There's much more melding of the the archetypes and the social cliques, and so, like, it's not... You're not a pariah to be kind of nerdy nowadays compared right. to, like, in the 50s. Right. So I actually would say I don't mind so much that they weren't super clear because it's like, yeah, that I mean, in high school, that's going to happen. Like, kids don't know what's going on. They're all kind of just hanging out. And, yeah, I'm sure all three of the dudes have a giant crush on this chick and think that they're going to be the one to get her. And I feel like that could happen. I wish that a... was my high school experience. Well, that would have been great. Okay. <laughs> I secretly had a crush on you. Yes. That's not what happened. Um, but to get into a little bit more of the story. So, again, from the synopsis, we expected kind of a serial killer, like, thing where they stumble upon him killing someone and then try to prove it. But really, it's like a, what did you keep calling it while we were watching it? Like a more of a... This is more of a what lies beneath compared to, like, uh... Mm serial killer type or like a rear window yeah it's a rear window slash what lies beneath vibe i i would definitely oh you know what it's almost it's almost beautiful to actually have those two examples because it's almost like the amalgamation of it because he has a past that he has to cover up so that's the what lies beneath and then he is crazy but he's acting completely normal so there's the rear window so i mean it's it's actually that's a really good uh you know amalgamation of it i like that (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, while we were watching, it was just like, like, what is, like, what's his goal, you know? Like, he he's obviously, like, steadily losing it, or maybe, like, the guilt of what he did is eventually getting to him, maybe, oh, like in Hamlet, because they were doing the, was it Hamlet, Macbeth? Yeah. Which play Macbeth. was it? No, they, they, were doing, they were doing Macbeth, yeah. they started off with, Telltale. Uh, 
the Telltale Heart, where um, he says that it's his it's the man's guilt for killing the old man and chopping him up and putting him beneath the floorboard. So it's not the pounding of the old man's heart. It's his own paranoia and his own guilt and his own pounding heart within his chest. That's what he's hearing. Yeah, and then and then the kids stumbling in his house is what triggers his like real insanity of like, oh no, I'm gonna get caught. Like, I need to figure out how to deal with this. Yeah. Okay. So with the telltale heart thing, before we get off on other things, that was one of my main criticisms is when they're not at all subtle. Like it's way too on the nose. They're like, here, the what do you know? The story we're studying in class one day is exactly what's gonna happen with you know the rest of the plot of this movie. And you're like, really? Like, is that for the dumb people that don't yes. understand? Yeah. The, it's for the dummies. They need not even foreshadowing, just like, <laughs> here's, the, here's I, the plot. Yeah. I, I think it's definitely a bit of on-the-nose foreshadowing where, I mean, good foreshadowing is not supposed to spoil anything, but you're you're definitely supposed to realize that he's crazy, but he doesn't realize he's crazy because, I mean, if you look at what's been transpiring up to the point where they enter the house... He's obviously already crazy. Yeah. Right. Because he's kept his dead wife for two years and he's dancing with her and keeping her fresh, which is one of my biggest problems with this entire movie. They explain nothing as to how he is keeping her from decomposing. I understand he's a mortician, but at least give give the audience that benefit of the doubt of showing him like how to keep the body fresh. Maybe he's like replacing embalming fluids every week. Something. Yeah, I definitely had assumed that he just embalmed her, but I mean, the layperson doesn't know how long embalming lasts. Obviously, right. eventually they turn into corpse soup, but I don't know <laughs> how long that takes. That's a good point. <laughs> definitely got the creepiness of the, yeah, like wouldn't she start kind of, I mean, she would she would start rotting away. Yeah. I would I would think eventually. I mean, unless he somehow got the secrets of like the Russians from Lenin's tomb, but it's it's got to be one of those things where I guess you just have the suspension of disbelief. You're accepting this magical realism towards okay. Well, he's a mortician. We're just gonna smile and yeah. nod, and and that's and that's it. Totally. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'm guessing that the 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 mental break for him was after he found out about the affair with the guy at the beginning of the movie when he goes jogging. Yeah. And because at that point, I mean, even when he makes him unearth the uh, coffin, there's nothing in there. And that's why the guy's like, what? I don't understand. Which I think maybe even that guy's reaction to waking up in the coffin and doing the whole, oh, oh, like, <laughs> I think that might be the best bit of acting in the entire film. <laughs> so one thing that I wish they had explained better, because, again, we're, we're going into this movie with the synopsis, the taglines. We're assuming that this guy is, like, murdering people and then using his job as right. a mortician to hide the bodies. Like, right. constant, like, like, he's killed 50 people. Like, drifters and right. stuff. Right, or, like, his... Yeah, or, like, his business, you know, kind of went slow, so he's having to people kill to people Bernie. in order right. to, like... <laughs> so... I, I, I mean, you're right. So the fact that they didn't show whose grave it was, you know what I mean? Like they yeah. weren't like, Oh, we pan up and show that it's his wife's headstone and that, Oh my gosh, she's not there. What does that mean? Where could she be? They didn't do that. 
Yeah. So you're just like, right. oh, it's right. just and some he's... random grave from recently that he was just like, yeah, you're going in there too, buddy. <laughs> right. And he's all like, you took that pretty fast. Although it is fresh dirt. I mean, your mind has to go to like, were you like scoping the graveyard? Were you waiting to see? I mean, okay, I will admit. <laughs> when a funeral so happens? I did at one point in my adult life have a job working at a cemetery. So it's not, like, it's definitely something that has occurred to me where I'm like, I could totally murder somebody, and I know exactly, like, where I would bury them. To be fair, his boss had given him the idea, because, like, his boss was always like, just, you know, oh, you know, I work at a cemetery, like, you better not mess with my niece or whatever, like. (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, it's definitely, that is feasible. I don't know necessarily, like, I, it would have been a lot easier if he had done it, maybe, when, like, in between the digging and the funeral or whatever. And one thing I'd like to point out is, at least here, coffins have to be inside of concrete vaults. Oh, gosh. So, <laughs> I, this is, again, this is the realism, okay? Okay. You don't just dig up the, <laughs> the, the, uh, the plot and go, oh, there's the coffin, open it up, get inside. No, there's a 500-pound concrete lid on top of the coffin. You're not just like, oh yeah, like lift that out of the way. I mean, again, I know it's a movie. The writers didn't know, whatever. The other problem in this movie later is that coffins don't have automatically sealing lids. You have to like lock them. So the idea that she couldn't like push up the lid or that he couldn't push up the lid was insane. When he kidnapped her and buries her in the coffin, I'm like, is this the weakest woman on earth? She can't lift (laughs) whatever it would be. She can't lift off, you know, four planks of wood that are on top, you know, on a hinge, no less. Right. (laughs) Like at least with a guy, he had been hit with a shovel. So, okay, let's, let's throw in a concussion maybe. And then when... Uh, Dennis Quaid did jump down onto the coffin. His foot is on the lid. So, I mean, at least I can I can believe that he's holding it down enough and that kept him in there. But you're right, the girl, there's no excuse for her not being able to lift off the lid of the coffin, which wasn't even like an actual, like, real coffin, like, nice coffin. It was, it was no. a pine yeah, box. Yeah, it was like a pine <laughs> box. And then the same thing, too, at the end, when Dennis Quaid is the one in there, like... There's nothing holding him there. There's no. like a couple handfuls of dirt and like, oh, I can't get out. You're talking about when they knock him out? Oh, they did they, knock him they, out. They yeah, him. they yeah, knocked right, they knocked right. him out. They closed it. And then I do I do love how quickly, you know, the uh, Travis is all like, let's go. And she's like, no, like, screw this. <laughs> she takes the shovel and just starts shoveling. How quickly does he like yeah, turn tail and go like, okay, you're, part, we're like... you're right. <laughs> you're right. We should bury him alive. <laughs> well, I was like, okay, now are they going to tell the cops or are they just going to be like, yep, F that guy. Like he's buried now. <laughs> People are going to be like, where'd he go? I don't know. <laughs> I think it would have, I think it would have seemed a little weird. I think that the cops might've put two and two together. If the, this whole thing involved, you know, Vaughn Eli, which frankly is just a weird name because Vaughn seems like a last name and Eli yeah. is a first But I mean, when, if the whole incident is surrounding him and then suddenly his wife, his recently deceased, you know, wife's grave, the dirt has been disturbed. I think that would call for more, you know, investigation and yeah, I don't know, competent police work, which (laughs) the police force in this town is not exactly like top notch. they are not. But we had two other random questions throughout this movie. The first one was, on his van, it says, like, Henderson and Eli or something, or, like, 
there's another person yeah. who runs the funeral home. Where's that guy? Like, I assume he murdered him, but then they never, you know, because he's <laughs> this go. serial killer. But then he's not really a serial. Yeah, serial he only thing. kills two people <laughs> yeah. in the movie. And then... right, he yeah, he does. He only kills people. Yeah, I'm guessing. Uh, I'm guessing the other partner died. And even if he, okay, if you were going to rewrite this and remake this, make it actually feasibly good, I, I think the idea of him being a serial killer would be beautiful. I think even better having the mortuary in this home, like the size of the home would have made sense to have the mortuary in house, kind of like in my girl, or if you watch, you know, the horror movie, dead silence, the mortuary is in the home. Yeah. I mean, I've actually known people who lived in the apartments above mortuaries. Sabrina, the teenage witch. She got it in. Yeah. No, culturally in Hollywood, funeral homes, mortuaries, they have to be like the people live there. That's just how it works. Yeah, it would, it would only make sense. a small town in Texas where you're, like, on the main street or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Right, yeah. But the other question I had in terms of the story is what was the point of him seeing, the main character seeing the ghost of, like, his sister? Like, nothing. where, why, like. Absolutely nothing. Like, it was, like, a weird, like, oh, he comes to terms with his sister's death while, like, uncovering this murder mystery? Unless the ghost is a manifestation of his own guilt. But then, like, and I guess, like, when he comes to terms with it, you're right, like, the ghost goes away and disappears. But it it adds, this is one of the things where you could take away from the movie in its entirety, and it doesn't change anything. Yeah, it definitely does. So all it takes away is bad dialogue from the Brian kid bullying him, saying, was it a ghost? Maybe yeah. the ghost is going to be here. <laughs> Did the ghost knock down those pins? <laughs> so two things about that. One, he does talk to his mom in one conversation about how he's convinced that Dennis Quaid killed his sister. Right? Oh, I totally missed that. He's like, oh, you know, you didn't believe me when I told you that, like, he snapped her neck or something? No. Is he talking about his friends? No, he didn't. The mom didn't believe him when he told her about the ghost that Okay, we saw. have to rewatch that scene. So I don't understand the mo- those. I swear he thought Back that this guy here, killed Drew. his sister. Back no, 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 no. Okay. The, he believes that, I mean, two things that he, do, he does discuss with her. Uh, the, the ghost and as well as the fact that Dennis Quaid's character killed Danny. Yes. And and he tries to t- in uh, she she tries to comfort him essentially, and he says like, "No, quit trying to make me feel better. This is like, you, do you believe me or not?" And then she tries to like avoid the entire situation in subject yeah. and say like, "I believe that I love you." Yeah, and I like shouted at the TV. And, I was like, "That's not what I, I want you, <laughs> and that I want you to be safe." And I'm thinking. That's not what he asked. Yeah. That's not what he asked at all. Right. Good avoidance, okay. Mom. So the second thing that was confusing, because I was waiting, in the scenes that are like flashbacks of him seeing his sister dying or whatever, there's these weird, like, swirly black clouds around her. Like, you know, I was waiting for some sort of weird, like, repressed memory break where it's like, oh he had repressed the fact that Dennis Quaid was in the room murdering her. <laughs> right. And like, that was the, cl- like, that was the darkness there. And I was just like, what is happening? So yes, you're right. Yeah. I the mean, whole it's, it's this, like is weird. Yeah. It's it this weird manifestation of that makes no sense to add it to the story. It adds nothing 
to his character. It adds nothing to the plot. It, it It's pointless, honestly. <laughs> so despite the shortcomings in some of the acting and some of the story, is this movie engaging? I think it's engaging to a point where you're trying to figure out if it's going to get to a better place. <laughs> so you want it to be better than it is, so that's almost good enough. Right. And because because there's so many things that you can point out where it's like a it's like a uh, it is a plot and it's fine, but it's like a, it's like a slice of Swiss cheese. It's just full of holes and you got to try and like work your way around it and then just go, okay, maybe it gets better. Is it halfway through? No? Okay. Is Dennis Quaid smoking his e-cigarette like a madman? Yeah, that, yes. That was that, crazy. That might be one of my favorite like frames after the cops leave and he he takes the e-cigarette and it's right up on his face and he just like takes a, a long drag of it and then he, he gets wide-eyed like he's like, that's right, I have a girl in the backyard. <laughs> we have like I better, I better podcast. I better go dig her up. <laughs> I'll yeah. believe that. <laughs> um, yeah, I that was super weird. Well, yeah, the first indication of his weirdness is like while the one kid Travis is mowing the lawn, because oh, Jonathan I was, was like, first I was like, "Where's the grass?" Right. Like there, <laughs> there is. There's no grass. No if grass. he just mowed that lawn, frankly, it's covered in leaves. Not even leaves that have just been mowed. But yeah. right. like full, full leaves and the trees, he would have to avoid every single root and it's taking up like a quarter of the lawn. Yeah. But then they get to the side yard and it's like, oh, that's where the grass is. And it's yeah. too it's like, high. No, I don't mow the back and the side. I, I just mow the front. Yeah. So I just took that. It was weird and jarring. And I was like, wait, what? And I just took it to be like, oh, he's crazy. He thinks that the grass is there and it's like dead or something, and it's just his psychosis. I, but it wasn't very clear. That's was, a good I, interpretation. It, it, it might have been, been better. It, it might have been like a seasonal thing where they were filming in Texas, right? So like the the patches of the property might have already been dead. I mean, it was despite a seven point three million dollar budget. Like, where did that money okay, go? I, I'm I'm assuming house. lots of cocaine and. <laughs> And possibly, like, the other five million went into Dennis Quaid's pocket because the movie was a horrible bomb. Like, I mean, barely making $23,000 back cumulative worldwide. Yeah, I, I, at one point I turned to Jonathan and I was like, they spent $7 million on this movie. And he just started (laughs) laughing because where did it go? It's not in the production value. It's like with Cutthroat Island, we were like, yeah, we can see how they spent like oh, however yeah. many millions of dollars on this movie. My but... favorite scene in this movie was when they're at the funeral for their friend and there is no continuity with the editing. And so the douchebag guy has his collar down as they're walking away. <laughs> did you notice this? I did notice it because <laughs> I, re-watched, I rewatched it yesterday. <laughs> So his collar's down, and then the next scene, like, is, a, like, a, an up-close on him, and his collar's up, and then it's, like, the all of them or whatever, and then his collar's down again. And I'm just like, how do you not notice that? Yeah, they did not spend any of the $7 million on a continuity person. No, they, no you know what? It all, it, all went to the, uh, it all went to the CGI ghost. <laughs> it did. That was pointless for the plot. <laughs> so... 
we've kind of ripped on this movie a little bit, but is there anything <laughs> particularly that it does well? I, I think you do have a great sense of, you know, Dennis Quaid does play crazy, I think, well. It's not even like a phenomenal amount of well, but it's almost to the point where you are definitely engaged in his character. You want to see how far he can possibly take it. Like even at the funeral scene, I do love when, you know, Abby calls out to him and says, we like, we know what you did. Or like, you know what you did. And he turns around and he does look like, Abby? Yeah. Yeah. I do love that because it's a, it now becomes a cat and mouse game. It does, yeah, for sure. And so, I mean, I think Dennis Quaid having it all, I think it's very, it's very intriguing despite the, uh, despite it falling short from a storyline wise, which I'm completely okay with due to the fact that this is the writer's only film that he wrote. Oh. So there is no fear that uh, this has to happen again. <laughs> <laughs> the other kind of fun thing about it, too, was at one point we were like, is Dennis Quaid just going to get away with this? Like, is this going to be one of those movies where the bad guy kind of wins out in the end? <laughs> Which would have been more fun, I think, than what actually happened. Right. Like, maybe he... Gosh... I mean, again, I mean, we keep going back to like ideas of like changing the film for the better where, you know, maybe at the very end after some type of, you know, event, he's overseeing the autopsy or the prep of the three kids for their funeral. Yeah. <laughs> or, or maybe he's like opening up a new mortuary in a new town. Yeah, that would have been good. I mean, something, I don't know, something that it, it could just, uh, it could have worked out better, but uh, in the end, all we had was a uh, fourth wall break and Dennis Quaid saying love sucks. So how did you feel about that? Because I hated that. That was um, the worst part of the movie. Well, I liked well it until first he off, did he's, that. Not, <laughs> he's not Ryan Reynolds, so yeah. he can't pull it off. Uh, it's, it's dumb. I do like the fact that I guess it could play into how in love he is. So he understands that he is finally crazy. Because, I mean, even with, you know, imagining that Abby was Rosemary for half a second in the in the graveyard, I, I don't know. Like, it, it doesn't, again, it doesn't put a pen in it. It only me leaves you kind of wondering, like, what? Yeah, we were also like, Jonathan was like, wait, she, she didn't go get help? Like, she just, like... She just came she back. She came back. And hoped in, that he would see his she dead She undressed the, the, the corpse and put on the right. nightie and then came out. like. But only, but only after she couldn't figure out how to free herself from the duct tape until he had to tell her, bite through yes, it. just bite the duct tape. She's like, what? I can do that? Well, I mean, it makes <laughs> sense because she also can't lift three planks of wood. <laughs> So her whole character's point is to be useless. That's true. That is true. Also, Just... also, so the cops are there. You know, they're 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 getting eerily close to uncovering that she's buried in this coffin under a tarp. And he's like, "Oh right. no, I'm just making a tomato garden. I'm the tarp is to kill the grass." Like, if I'm in her situation, I just start screaming at the top of my lungs and hope somebody hears. No, it. remember she was she was she... still dazed from the face she punch. got she got the she got the one two three punch in the no, face I know, but, and she got knocked out but even then they're going to their car and she's like pretty conscious and is like pushing on the the, the wood like i would just right. start screaming 
Like, what's he right, gonna I do, mean, kill you? <laughs> that was the other thing I had when, like, the cop was right there and uh, Dennis Quaid had the Travis kid at, like, gunpoint. I was like, I'd rather get shot in the face for trying to scream for help than not. Like, right. He could be like... Right. I mean, despite, despite the fact of being in the house. I mean, this is the whole point of these cops being either really, really bad at their jobs or they're secretly corrupt. Because he even said, he said, Vaughn, you don't want to shoot him in the back. Never in the back. Yeah. <laughs> in the house, in the house, it's okay. But you don't want to shoot him, shoot him in the back. Like, he's giving him murder advice. Like, right, like the, this is Texas. <laughs> it's okay if you kill an intruder. Yeah. <laughs> but just don't make it obvious that it was murder and not self-defense. Right, I don't, I don't do need to hear that. Man. I don't, <laughs> exactly. I don't need to hear that from the cops. I do like hearing it from Dennis Quaid's character. Right. As he's talking to Travis in the house, he's all like, you're in my house. You're an intruder. And this is Texas. And I like that and he had the twang We can accent. shoot on sight. Yeah. yeah, he had the accent, like, that was... He didn't have the accent throughout the movie. It was kind of like, he's going into character, and the, again, it's the cat and mouse thing. It's like, this is my turf, sonny boy, you know? You're right. It's like, oh, man, he is pretty crazy. So, speaking of crazy, according to Google reviews, 83% of people who reviewed this movie... On Google. Liked this movie. I like this movie. I like parts of this movie. You like that bomb I just dropped I, on you? I do. Tell me more. <laughs> I was waiting I was waiting for us to get to where you're going to be like, oh, you know, I feel like, how much do you like? I guess we can use this as the segue into our Because when I pick these movies, he's always like, why did you do this to me? <laughs> I hate you. Most movies we watch in this show or on, the, on this podcast are terrible. They are. Here's the thing. Not like 50 okay. 50. Setting aside all of the inconsistent, all of the inconsistencies, the bad editing, the poor writing, you know, the the dumb storylines, the general flow of the actual main narrative of this movie is logical, and it's it definitely plays like a CW teen drama take on like a thriller mystery. Right. But I do enjoy generally those thriller mysteries. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have as much problem with a lot of the weaknesses of this movie. I mean, there were... I wouldn't say... This is not a good movie. I'm not saying it's good. <laughs> what I'm saying is... Let's make this clear. This is this is a not terrible movie. Okay? It might be a bad movie. It's not a good movie. It's probably just a mediocre movie. Mm-hmm. I would say it's mediocre. I, I personally gave it, like, two out of five stars. Yeah, that's where I would... Yeah. I'd put it there. It's not... A 4% on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, the fact that this movie has a lower score than Holmes and Watson is... That's pretty bad. ...an offense against... (laughs) I mean, maybe aside from Holmes and Watson being so new, that could help with the rating, or that Holmes and Watson is so bad that some people are literally finding the whole, it's so bad, it's good, I can find parts of it... I'll be quite honest, I started Holmes and Watson, and I think I walked out of the room in the last, like, 25 minutes, and I never came back in. I, yeah, we, <laughs> so, we, we suffered through it. But the interesting thing about Holmes and Watson, which I mentioned in our episode, was that for Google users, only 39% of people liked that movie. Right. Whereas this one, it's 83. 83%. Yeah, no, it so, makes sense. Yeah, this movie's obviously, overall, a better movie not just for people who like these kinds of movies, yeah. but in general. Okay, so, uh, Drew, mm-hmm. you've, 
you've seen, I'm sure, like, Kiss the Girls, Along Came a Spider. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know what other kind of mystery thrillers there are from, like, the 90s. That era, you know? Do you think that this movie is, like, on a totally worse level than those? Or is it kind of like, yeah, they're just kind of meh, you know, thriller mysteries? I think it can be easily uh, balanced. I think it's like a meh, but almost like a meh, comparable type of level. It's... It's not again like like we said like it's it's bad, but it's not like terrible. It's not unwatchable in any way, shape, or form. There is a mystery, but it's so convoluted in like side plots and like you know distracting you know storylines. Yet, you, the audience themselves can still figure out like what's going on easily enough. Like it's revealed far too early. So here's here's an interesting point I'll make. I think it's interesting. It's interesting. <laughs> I was like, let us judge whether or not Here's the point I'll make. So What Lies Beneath, that's the, when we started out, that's kind of the comparable movie I the said. Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer are in that movie. Yeah. Like A-list Hollywood stars. Yeah. It's directed by Robert Zemeckis. Okay? Okay. It's written, this is the interesting part, it's written by Clark Gregg. As in... Coulson? Agent Coulson from the Marvel Universe wrote What Lies Beneath. I don't know how many other movies he's written. That's really cool. I did not know that. So, that movie has a 46% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh-huh. So, not quite low enough for us to be able to say, oh yeah, we're going to watch that movie and tear it apart. That movie is a 46%. This movie is a 4%. <laughs> I think you take this movie as a rough draft, and you give it an actual Hollywood director with actual Hollywood stars to compliment Dennis Quaid, this movie would easily be in that 40 to 50% range with all the critical reviews just saying, yeah, it's meh, it's, it's fine. I think so too. Okay. I, I think definitely having a better cast, I think having multiple revisions of the script, I think it would have, I think it would have done a lot better. A good editor. Yeah. A bit. <laughs> <laughs> or like, and even like a good story, like a good director who could take the script and say, what? That doesn't make sense. No, we're changing that. No, we're, you know, we're not doing that part. Like, cut that part out. That, what? With his sister? Right in a new scene to explain why that matters. Yeah. Um, no, I think the fact that this movie had, like, a $7 million budget is kind of what hurts it. Because it's definitely on that level of, oh, let's just throw crap at, we don't, whatever. Somebody will see it in the theaters, you know, it's a, like, kind of the crappy Bloomhouse movies, you know, ah, whatever. Just make it cheap. Somebody will watch it. It's fine. <laughs> Um, the Bloomhouse movies are not crappy. Okay, I'm sir. saying some of them are crappy. Okay. Some of them are obviously great. Some of them are Oscar winning, so I can't <laughs> critique all of them. Um, yeah, if this movie had had like a $25 million budget and had more attention with more professional kind of, or people who are better at their craft working on this movie, I think this would have been a perfectly fine, uh, you know, thriller. Mm-hmm. So, but I enjoyed it. The thing is, I, there wasn't a point where I was like, oh my gosh, this movie's so long, this movie's so boring, like, this movie's so bad. There were times where I'm like, wait, his collar, what, with the continuity? Or I'm like, what does that even mean? <laughs> like, what, who, what is going on? It definitely wasn't marketed well either. Obviously, no. it made no money. So it probably wasn't marketed, period. We've already established that the synopsis and the taglines 
are not what yeah. this movie's about, which certainly doesn't do it any favors. I feel like this movie probably would have done a lot better if it was released today on like Netflix. Or oh no, it's definitely like, like a because... direct to streaming level. Oh yeah, yeah, this would be this would be like a Netflix film, one hundred percent. Yeah, and I feel like it would do well as that because there's always some sort of you know. I mean, I've watched several of them at this point, and I like them even though they're kind of cheesy and not the best mm -hmm. or even like a sci-fi movie i mean it didn't even the the movie itself didn't even come out in a bad time like it it had the austin film festival in october of 2011 and then you know it was released in 2012 january 4th so it's not even hitting like the month of august where like you know movies go to die so it, it had no real excuse but i think a minimal budget a director who had some things to his name and a writer who it was his first film to write. I, I think there's a lot of things that couldn't help it to fall short aside from having one fifth of a good cast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also curious to know like how many people reviewed it. Cause didn't you say it was hard to find reviews for this? Um, there were, yeah. there were hard to find. I think, I mean, you can, you can scour like, you know, IMDb and sure. Rotten Tomatoes and stuff. But um, I do enjoy seeing what different movie reviewers like on YouTube can have for it. I found very few, maybe like six, but it's also from just kind of like people sitting in their living room and right. uh, taking a stab at it. So it's not like individuals who really look into the, into the depths of film like Looper or CinemaSins or anything like that, where I think CinemaSins would tear this thing apart. And that would be, that'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think the score on this movie is probably more to do with the fact that it just wasn't reviewed by very many people. I think mm -hmm. it would have a higher score. Probably. It was, you know, it'd be like 25% of Rotten Tomatoes if 100 critics had reviewed it versus like yeah. 10 or something. And some of the things that we've talked about with a few of the critics we've interviewed is like if, if the producer or the distributor or whoever doesn't send them a screener for it like they're not going to review it like if they don't get tickets to a screening or if they don't get a screener in the mail they're not going to go out of their way to <laughs> review it like does that make sense right not yeah gonna... so like that's why a lot of netflix movies or things like that don't have as many critic reviews right. because they simply don't send them out or don't provide the digital key or whatever it is for it although on netflix i mean like it's on Netflix. No, but they give it. They give, the, they give it to them in advance. Yeah. There's like an advanced digital key that they can stream it early or something to review. So to answer the overall final question, is you know did I wish I, do I wish I had my time back? My answer is no. For once. I it's actually no. <laughs> had a decent movie watching experience. Like yes. I knew that it wasn't going to be good. And it wasn't so bad that I was like, oh my gosh, this is hot garbage. I can't believe it. No, like it was like actually... Like Station Zero. <laughs> well, that movie, yes. That movie had no plot. This movie had a plot. And I can, I can accept that. I mean, it, yeah. It was a rough draft of what could have been an okay movie. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, they made the rough draft and then gave, you know, sent it out versus... Have it. Maybe they just didn't have any money to polish it up. I don't know. I'm curious to know like who produced this. If it was just some guy that was like, yeah, I was just, you know, okay. I heard movies can be a good investment. You know, I'm an oil baron from, you know, West Texas or something. I don't know. I will look into that. What did you think, Drew? What's your 
overall um, feeling. You know, honestly, I'm I'm not sad that I watched the movie. I'm actually. I mean, you had to watch it well, a couple times. This is the second time you watched, you watched it, too, it right? again. It's the well, so technically, in this entirety of this year, it's like my third time watching it because oh I did watch it as part of like you know, uh, back in October, I just kind of like plowed through a bunch of horror movies, and this was one of them. And uh, but for this review, I did I did rewatch it like twice again. And again, like it's not it's not bad. Um, I'm one of those people that I think that you can always find and take away something good from any movie. Uh, and I I'm waiting for the day where that's going to come back and literally bite me. Can you where... take away something good from Highlander Two: The Quickening? Have you seen Highlander Two: The Quickening? <laughs> Is there it's, anything? It's called Highlander. So. <laughs> I, I have seen it. It's been quite a few years, but, okay. uh, but I mean, yeah, it's, I don't, I don't regret my time watching it. I think there's things to enjoy about the film, but the, uh, the cons definitely outweigh, uh, the good parts. I almost wonder too, if this movie, uh, what's the opposite of benefit? I'm kidding. This movie... <laughs> is harmed by the fact that just there's so many movies nowadays, everything's been done, there's so many tropes. You know, like even thinking about Rear Window, like Which Rear I love. Window is a masterpiece, you know, a lot of people say, oh, it's one of the great movies, it's one of Hitchcock's best movies, but like, it's still, if it were made today and it had never been made, you'd be like, really? Oh, they remade okay. it not that long ago. Well, they made they? Disturbia with Shia LaBeouf. They no, yeah. they re yes, they did Disturbia, which yes, I remember. But no, I think they remade Rear Window too. It could be. Did know. they? I re I hope not because that's my favorite Hitchcock film. Yeah, so they did one in nineteen. Oh, there's a made-for-TV movie in nineteen ninety-eight. Starring Christopher Reeve and Daryl Hannah. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Because, yeah, mm. he was, like, handicapped, and the, that was the, kind of the... Yeah. The twist. I don't know. I guess I'm, my point is, though, that... So this movie really wasn't a horror film. That was another thing where I was like, wait, I turned to you, I think, when we were watching it, I'm like, is this supposed to be a horror film? And she's like, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> it wasn't really horror. No, it it's... It was barely a thriller. It's barely a thriller. It's definitely... Cat it's categorized as a horror and a thriller on IMDb. I would plug it more like a thriller suspense. Right. Like a like a psychological yeah. thriller. I mean it's not it's definitely not up on the lines of like, you know, silence the lambs in any way, shape, or form, but yeah, I mean there is some psychological aspects, but I think that definitely plays more into the suspense aspect of the storyline where he's trying to play off that he's innocent, the kids are being you know, made to look like liars. Yeah. So. Which is a common thing in pretty much every teen, teen movie like this, teen where the cops movie. never believe the kids or the parents never believe them. One thing I did want to say about the that silly shot at the end, like I feel like it would have been so much better if he hadn't said the line, the love sucks or whatever, because while he's just sitting there like staring at you like through the camera, it's so unsettling. Like, I think had they just left it at that, it would have been so much better. I just think they should have shown him maybe being, like, marched into prison or the asylum or whatever. And then just, you know that he got, you know, he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison. And you don't need to know. It, it had this weird sense of, like, we need to give you closure, but also kind of 
shock you with this last scene. And the last scene was just pointless. It didn't add anything at all. We already knew that the cops had found him, and that he didn't die when they buried him alive. They had dug him back out, and he was fine. That's all that needed to be known, yeah. I think. Yeah, I, I definitely think the idea of him, again, rewriting the story, if he were to have dug himself out of the grave, gotten out of town, and it would have been much better to have him just set up a new mortuary in a new town. Yeah. One of the other things I hoped that they did with the how does the body stay fresh is I assumed he had been killing women who looked like his wife. See, there you go. It was like keeping Once the body again, around. They should have made it. They should have made him a serial killer. Who right. Did, who was motivated by being crazy and the loss of his wife and everything. And they should have been like, oh, yeah, there's like 50 victims buried out here, son. You know, like yeah. you're, just, you're, you're number 53 or whatever. Right, like this is why you're not allowed in the backyard. Yeah, uh, you right. you bring in the whole concept, or kind of like a kind of an homage, I guess, like a future homage to Secret Window, well, where it's like, you know, she's been she's buried beneath the corn. <laughs> right, I love that. <laughs> this is why this is why these <laughs> this is why corn. these tomatoes <laughs> these tomatoes are growing in fresh. Um, well, yeah, especially because why else would he have a random coffin? hole like bury you know pine box buried in his backyard with a tarp on it he had that ready before the kids broke into his house the second time to try yeah. to prove well, he then, was this bad guy and then he had his wife in the pine box up in the attic right so he just has uh, maybe pine that's boxes later. <laughs> apparently maybe well maybe that's where he was going to place the wife because he he even told me he said like now I have to bury her, you know, oh. and she's gonna have to because of, of of the mess that you made. Didn't he? So like, maybe he was gonna maybe he was gonna put the wife in the ground, out in the backyard. No, he was gonna put her in her back in her coffin. Yeah, because that's why they were there again. Yeah, hmm. because he was like, oh, in case they come and like dig her up based on what you right. told them, I need to right. prove that she's actually there. Okay. And, and of yeah, course, then he like, was. You, man, you did a really good job embalming her. She looks just <laughs> as fresh as the day we buried her. She, she looks great. Now the guy that you murdered—that's <laughs> in here. He completely—he completely decomposed away to bones, which he wouldn't decompose that fast. Corpse soup. Like to get to get down to skeleton. Yeah. It would take at least around seven or eight years. Right. Well, and the other now, thing is, now be, being inside a coffin would promote faster decomposition, but man if they had concrete vaults like, i'm sorry i have to it would be filled with water like the whole thing like i have personally dug up a vault to move to a different cemetery like they're gross they're full of water which is mixed with the embalming fluid and the decomposing and the person juice. and like it's discuss it's one of the most foul things that exists like it's not just oh here's this perfectly preserved coffin all by itself with a dead body inside no that's not <laughs> anyway <laughs> he's so mad about this but amazingly you're able to overlook it unlike in mummy tomb of the dragon emperor when you freaked out about the do sex yetis that yes. came and saved the day randomly he could not get over it he was like yelling at the tv for like five minutes <laughs> You had to remind me of that movie. <laughs> this is fine. 
crypt vault knowledge. Maybe because this is such a low budget, like, nobody's in it, nobody's trying. Like, I don't hold the bad acting against all these kids, because I'm like, what do you expect? They're all a bunch of D-list, like, nobody's from Nick at Night and whatever, you know, like, I don't expect them to be amazing actors, you know? Right. I yeah. do expect people in a mummy film who have been in lots of, you know, good Hollywood big budget movies to do a good job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, 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 I do great on the curve a lot of the times, I think. <laughs> Or I'm willing to. If if the movie is engaging enough and the narrative is okay. So I guess my question, though, yeah. is so you kind of liked it. Would you recommend that people watch it? I would say that if you like What Lies Beneath, then you would might enjoy watching this movie. What do you think, Drew? Uh, you know, if you're a Dennis Quaid fan, I think that you're going to kind of enjoy Dennis Quaid's performance. It's definitely not his best. Are there Dennis I... Quaid fans? Like, <laughs> of there, there course has there to be. are. I'm sure he has a fan club somewhere. You know, they're all from the, they're all from the 80s. Right. They're like from when he was. I don't. I can't. What was that tell. baseball? I movie can't even he was name in, the movie. Like the rookie that he's or something. The rookie, yeah. That's yeah. That's a movie. I, I, it's, I don't know. The it's not bad, in, honestly. I know who he is. He's very famous. You know, I mean, no, that's the thing. Like, I, I know, I just, I just love you. Like, I know his face. No, yeah, I mean, I know I've seen him I in movies. Him. I just, if you're like, hey, name five Dennis Quaid films, I'd be like, uh, okay, Ooh. Beneath the Darkness. He was an uncredited extra in Stripes. Oh, Jaws 3D. <laughs> never seen it. You've never. What, what do you have seen recently? You Jaws have like... 3D. No. <laughs> anyway. So you obviously review a lot of movies. Tell us, what are some of your, uh, like, guilty pleasure movies that you know are not good, but you can't help but love anyway? Oh, gosh. Okay, so one that I cannot help but love, and I just, I mainly enjoy it for the fact of the specific actor and his style. I, I like his physical comedy. I get crap for <laughs> it all the time from my uh, co-hosts, and that is uh, Paul Blart Mall Cop. Yes! <laughs> so, I... I love I love that movie it's heartwarming. so much. It's so heartwarming. It is Kevin Thank you. James. Yeah. It is no, Kevin do, James. It is I do Kevin think James. Kevin James is a very underrated like physical comedian. Um I think King of Queens. <gasps> it has a 32% on Rotten oh, Tomatoes. We, watch it? we get okay. to watch it. <laughs> Drew can come on again. You're and talk welcome. About how amazing it is. <laughs> yes. I've watch. never seen it. So. <gasps> oh. Oh, it's oh no, seriously. Oh, you gotta watch it. I mean, it's it is one of those like one hundred percent underdog stories, and it's just you smile. You gotta smile at it. I cried. And it's it's almost uh, it's almost a little bit kind of like a uh, like a Kevin James stand up, okay. which I kind of grew up kind of watching, which I absolutely adore. Uh, man, there's so many movies that are just they're fun guilty pleasures that are just enjoyable. Like I, I kind of enjoy some bad movies, especially like eighties, bad movies and especially eighties horror movies like killer clowns from outer space. I really enjoy. I love that one. Um, my favorite horror franchise is the puppet master series. Yes. Which Cookie, question. again, they're so bad. They're good. 
Do you consider Puppet Master vs. Demonic Toys part of the Puppet Master franchise, or is it separate? Where am I right now? <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? You're in, a, you're in a wonderful place. I don't know any of the... A okay. wonderful world. <laughs> I, I would consider it to be separate. I, I don't want... Like like Alien vs. Predator is canon. different Well, I mean, Alien vs. Predator actually kind of has... It, it, they do make it slightly connected through canon because even in the Predators remake, when they come back, they kind of do a little bit of callback from Alien vs. Predator, Requiem, and even Predators. So mm. it's it's kind of coinciding. But yeah, I would I would definitely take away uh, Demonic Toys versus uh, Puppet Master in its in its own right. I mean, okay. even even the newer Puppet Master movie, like the Littlest Reich, it's still part of the franchise. I don't. <laughs> that's a bad one. I too. have not seen that, but oh, that sounds amazing. Please watch it. It's really, it's <laughs> really bad. But it's again, you just you watch it for the love and the nostalgia of remembering like what what kind of like hooked you in the first place. It's it's the idea that these guilty pleasure films are the things that we used to like, you know watch in secret and hide in the back of the closet and wait till no one was around to bring them back out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my friends in college would be like, what do we get her for her birthday? Oh yeah, let's just go to like the movie bin and get the worst looking horror movies we can find and give them to her. And I loved it every time. So good. It's good. I mean, the list can go on and on, but I mean, those are, those are a few. Me watch these films. <laughs> I watch, I'm nice. I watch them without him. <laughs> Your life will be better for it. More, more it's enriched. <laughs> such a richer life for sure all right well go ahead and plug your podcast and any other things you want to tell the people about sure uh, so i am one of three hosts for the real feels podcast where we come out every other wednesday and we bring you a new movie of a brand new genre each and every single time where myself and my friends just kind of dissect and talk about what we liked about the movie what worked what didn't and basically laughing at all the inappropriate times and making inside jokes that really we just get. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I want to thank you so much for joining us this time. And I think we just might have to have you on again when we do uh, Paul Blart. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for being with us. And everyone definitely check out the Real Feels podcast on your favorite podcast platforms. Yay. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of One Star Bazaar. As always, you can reach out to us on social media to let us know what you think or what you'd like us to watch next. Please rate and review if you're willing. It lets us know you're listening, and we do truly appreciate your feedback. Join us next week when we review the remake of Overboard, starring Anna Faris. <laughs>